Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, it's a football Friday, and for the Bucs, it's their last Sunday. And will it be the last Sunday as the Bucs head coach for Dirk Cutter or GM Jason Light, for that matter? The Bucs take on... The Atlanta Falcons, and we'll discuss that and much more. Jameis Winston, of course, in his fifth year. Will he come back as well? Got lots to talk about in the Bucks season finale as they wrap up what's been a disappointing year once again and perhaps some coaching changes or other changes in the franchise in store. And also, it's time for the National Championship semifinals. We've got great football this weekend on Saturday, of course, Oklahoma and Alabama, Notre Dame and Clemson. We're going to talk to Matt Baker, college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times, who's in Atlanta, where there's another good bowl game between Florida and Michigan. we got all of that on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstink. Hey, you know, Christmas may be over, and you may have screwed up by getting your wife or girlfriend, like maybe a vacuum or something like that. Well, you know what? You're in the doghouse, but we're going to get you out. Here's what you need to do. Go see our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. He's going to hook you up and make things right for your girlfriend or wife. You can get a nice, maybe a statement piece like some diamond earrings or a bracelet or necklace. Or maybe you want to get engaged. If she'll say yes, try to get her a diamond engagement ring. Andy's got a great selection for you. And for our listeners only, right now, you can save 20% off all jewelry purchases. That's right, 20% off. They already have the best prices. You're not going to find these prices in the mall. That's where they got the big overhead. Go see our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. It's where I shop, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Okay, so this is the Bucks' final game of the season. Uh, they have a chance to uh, make their record 6-10, and 10, which is, would only be a one-game improvement over last year's 5-11 and 11 mark. And there's going to be changes, I think, throughout the NFL. And if you read uh, or listen to uh, this podcast, uh, you would probably get the pretty good distinct feeling that Dirk Cutter is one of those coaches that is on a very hot seat. I don't think it can get much warmer. This is his third season. He's had one winning season so far, 9-7 and seven in his first year. And, and then the Bucks with big disappointing finishes, of course, uh, as they've gone forward. So, um, look, I've had plenty of conversations, and I will tell you this much. As, as I record this podcast on uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, neither Dirk Cutter nor Jason Light know their fate. Um, they have not talked to the Glazers about it, or more importantly, the Glazers have not talked to them about it. And we've talked about how the Glazers do business. They typically gather all the information. They're going to wait and see, obviously, what other uh, potential candidates may be there. Both those guys are under contract. Uh, which is my understanding, not just uh, for this year, uh, but for next year. And they have a club option. So, um, you know, there's nothing they need to do there. But it was a year ago exactly, one year to the day today, um, on the Friday before the final final game, where the Glazers telephoned uh, Jason Light and asked him uh, what he wanted to do. Remember at that time there was some 
flirtation, if you will, or some discussion about John Gruden coming back to coaching. Would he come here? Would he go to the Raiders? I think at that point they got the pretty good understanding he was going to go back to uh, Oakland and with Mark Davis for $100 million. But in any case, uh, you know, Jason Light said, well, if we made a decision to stay with Dirk, we probably should let him know. And they did. And uh, I broke the story that Friday. And then on Sunday they went out and managed to win a big game against New Orleans on a last-second touchdown pass from Jameis Winston to Chris Godwin. So that's how last year went. So I, I suppose it's possible that there could be some news before Sunday, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels as if uh, this is going to be one of those Monday morning things at the earliest, or perhaps, you know, as Glazers have done in the past, Steve, there's no really rhyme or reason. I was thinking about this, um, you know, going all the way back to Tony Dungy, who was, you know, at that time, Malcolm Glazer was in charge of this organization, and he had already engaged in negotiations with Bill Parcells to be the Bucks coach, even before Tony coached his last game. Well, Parcells left him at the altar. That led to about a 30-something day search, which led to them trading for John Gruden, a pretty good acquisition. He went on to win the Super Bowl. When John, in 2008, went 9-3 nine and, nine and three and then lost his last four games, it was three weeks before... Um, the Bucks decided to make a change with him and Bruce Allen. And then the next day, they hired Raheem Morris and Mark Dominic as their coach GM. And then after, Do- after Mar- Raheem Morris was fired, it took a couple weeks, and, and their target at that time was Chip Kelly, who left them at the altar again. They ended up with Greg Schiano. Uh, a couple weeks later, Greg Schiano is fired. Um, and then, you know, before you know it, the Bucks uh, within a week or so, have Lovey Smith, and so Lovey Smith was fired. And so this will be the sixth coach, if they do make a change, they'll be hiring their sixth, sixth coach since 2008, um, or they will have had six coaches since 2008. So that's, that's an awful lot of turnover. But, um, you know, the Bucks just haven't gotten it done this year. And uh, I, I've always said this, that when you draft a quarterback, number one overall, and you pour the kind of resources they have – um, not just building around him offensively, um, but also uh, the time and, and investment in time and energy. If he does not make it, if he does not take your team to the postseason, let alone have more than one winning season, then then there are changes that are going to be made, Steve. And and I don't know, you know, what people think outside of this building, but there is a definite sort of expectation, I think, among among some coaches, among others. Uh, that there will be a coaching change probably come Monday. Well, look, I mean, and we've discussed this, you know, a lot this season, but, you know, when Dirk was told the Friday before the last game last year that he was coming back, his quote was, it was courageous of the owners. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's courageous. You come back. You had a historically bad defense to start the season. Now it's gotten better since you replaced your defensive coordinator. Your quarterback is improved, but still turning the ball over. And at the end of the day, your record's going to be at best one game better than it was last year. You know, looking at all that, those points, it's expected he will lose his job at the, at, after Sunday's game, whether it happens Sunday night, Monday, or they wait a few days. I think that's probably the expectation. Now, what the Glazers actually ultimately decide, you don't know. That. Nobody I mean, knows. They keep their cards closer to the vest than almost anybody. They do. They do. So. And which would beg the next question that I don't have an answer for, if we even assume, which is dangerous to do with the Glazers, that, that Dirk may not be here um, next season, then, then, then where do they go? And, and truly, um, that, that, is a, that is a more – that is a bigger riddle than, than whether they're going to change coaches or not because 
um, first of all, you don't know who's available. You know, does does Ron Rivera mm-hmm. get fired at Carolina? It looks like Dan Quinn is safe in Atlanta, although they'll make changes at their coordinator positions. There's always changes in the NFL. I've counted as many, anywhere from six to eleven potential coaching, hedge coaching changes in the league mm-hmm. coming up this year. So you really don't know until you see the landscape of everything. And you're going to hear names, and I don't want to get into all of them right now, but you're going to hear names like Bruce Arians, you know, who um, looked like he was done with the NFL. Who knows uh, what, what he wants to do coming, coming back. Of course, college Lincoln Riley is the big name uh, at Oklahoma that everybody wants to try to see if he's interested in making a jump to the NFL. And there will be lots and lots of others. I know Jim Caldwell has interviewed, Chuck Pagano interviewed with the Green Bay Packers. There's, there's so many coaches and, and assistants out there. Well, I'm sure um, there's calls to like Urban Meyer, who sure. you know, now is going to be an assistant athletic director at Ohio State. But Absolutely. that doesn't mean he couldn't jump to the pros if he chose. Nope. And we talked about, uh, we'll talk later uh, in this podcast about mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh and yep. you know whether or not he's a guy that wants to ever leave Michigan to go back to the NFL and whether this is the timing is right for him right now with all that he's going on you know, in his favor at Michigan. So um, we'll talk to Matt Baker about that in just a minute. So there, there's a lot of, there'll be a lot of speculation, in, and I will say this about the Glazers. Usually they have a plan. Usually uh, they try to strike quickly with a big fish or somebody who's outside the box. Uh, and if that does not work, if they're rejected or it just simply doesn't work out, um, then they go very methodically and try to keep an open mind and interview a lot of people. Uh, I don't see this as an in-staff hire. Uh, that's what happened when Lovey was fired. Uh, I don't see, for example, Todd Munkin or Brenton Buckner necessarily being a head coaching candidate here off this staff. Um, but we've got a long way to go. Um, before well, I, I we think would, some of the know, coaching search, some of the coaching search will be depend on if Jason Light returns or not. Because are you looking Correct. for Who's a general manager yeah. as well, or does Jason keep his job? And we're assuming Dirk gets let go at this point. I mean, he obviously could stay, mm-hmm. but but. Are you looking but for a GM assumption. at the same time, or is it a coach that's going to come in and, and essentially be in charge of the roster as well? Right. And that all is dependent on what coach you're talking about. Mm-hmm. In the case of Lovey Smith, he was given the 53-man uh, responsibility, and he, in essence, interviewed and actually picked Jason Light as his general manager. And then, of course, when Lovey went on, Dirk did not have the 53. They, then Jason became a more traditional general manager. And you could have a circumstance where the Glazers decide to hire a general manager first and let him do the coaching searches. Mm-hmm. Very often some of these general manager candidates are linked up. No, you know, For example, if I'm interviewing for the Bucks for a GM job, the first question they may ask me is, who would you hire as head coach? And I have to have some pretty good not only examples but – also be be able to actually attract those people to come work with me. So mm-hmm. very often you'll have pairings uh, involved in the NFL where if you're, say, Lewis Riddick or somebody, you've got a coach or a number of coaches that would like to work with you as their GM. So, you know, all of that is is, is down the road somewhat perhaps. Um, but we do know they got a game to play Sunday. The game itself doesn't matter as much. Um, you know, Atlanta has had a terrible year as well. They're 6-10. and 10. They've won their last two games. Um, but there was a lot of expectations in Atlanta. They were hurt, hit hard by injuries. Count O'Neill and, and their linebacker, uh, uh, you know, some of their top players on defense were, were knocked out early. I think that affected them, got them off to a slow start. Um, but, you know, certainly they're only a few years removed from losing a Super Bowl that they led 28-3 to to the Patriots. So a disappointing season for Dan Quinn, who is also on the hot seat, um, but again, I think uh, what you're hearing from Atlanta is maybe a change in coordinators with Steve Sarkeesian and maybe some others 
up there with the Falcons. Um, but, you know, these two teams, um, both with disappointing seasons, and then we mentioned Carolina. So other than New Orleans, which has the top seed in the NFC, um, there's not a very good year for the NFC South, who had three teams in the playoffs just a year ago. And then this season you have three teams that all potentially could finish really with the same record at 6-10. and 10. So lots to uh, talk about, and we'll digest a bunch of this, of course, on Monday. You want to make sure you're on the podcast for that. But for right now, let's move in college from pro football to college football. Matt Baker joins us now where he is uh, in Atlanta uh, for the Peach Bowl between Florida and Michigan. And, Matt, first and foremost, thanks for doing this. I understand that it was a little delay for you to leave where you were in Dallas to try to make it to Atlanta. <laughs> that is accurate. I was in Dallas uh, visiting in-laws for Christmas. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but the uh, first responders bowl between Boston College and Boise State uh, at the actual Cotton Bowl um, was uh, canceled after like 10 minutes because of the weather. And I'm thinking at the time, oh, come on, it's not that bad. And then after sitting at the airport slash on the airplane for six and a half hours. Oh, um, man. Last night slash, I guess it was all last night. Um, and then getting to the hotel about 2.15 this morning, uh, I don't, you know, they probably couldn't have played a football game considering my plane couldn't take off. So <laughs> I am bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to talk some college football with you, Rick. Well, we're happy you're here and that you made it there safely, and that's really all that matters. But, yeah, the plane, trains, and automobiles, uh, it is a glamorous life we lead, Matt, and people don't realize it really that. Is. But some, sometimes it can be a little testing on the nerves to get to these places. But anyway, you're there in Atlanta, and you got a beautiful stadium to watch Florida play Michigan. And I, and I would have said on the surface that, you know, Michigan is, is a better football team, that, that uh, Florida has their work cut out for them. But there's a couple of Michigan players that aren't going to be in this game. <laughs> that is accurate. Uh, I think when we last talked, it was two or three, and now it's up to four. Uh, you know, mm. Rashawn Gary is going to be probably a first-round pick defensive lineman. Devin Bush, linebacker, All-America candidate. Uh, Kron Higdon, their starting running back. And Juwan Bushell Beattie, I'm sure I butchered his name. I apologize. But he's uh, one of their starting offensive tackles. So they're down four yeah. dudes now. Um, all, all obviously good enough uh, to, to enter the NFL draft or at least think they can. So I thought Michigan had an advantage when this matchup w- was set up. But, you know, I, I still thought it could be, uh, you know, Florida would have a chance it could be close. But down four of your top guys man it's looking it's looking more like the gators have a legit chance here and of course the big question in bowl games is always going to be who's motivated who wants to really be there right right Um, right and and i think right now it's pretty clear which side wants to be there um you know chauncey gardner johnson the gators defensive back he's already declared for the nfl draft but he said you know i can't imagine skipping out on this whereas michigan has four guys on the other side who have skipped out on it so that's you know it's I don't know what all to make of it, but it certainly seems like Florida has a better chance now than I would have given him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think motivation is a big thing in bowl games for sure, and I and I also what I'm curious about with this, Matt, um, you know, if you're the Florida program trying to get things rolling, I mean, how much momentum, if any, can you kind of carry into next year with a good bowl victory over an opponent like Michigan? So th- there's two answers to that. The first one is on the field, I, zero or, or very yeah. little. I don't know that there's any real carryover because the teams are going to be different, right? I mean, sure, Florida's sure. probably going to lose. 
I think they're going to lose Jordan Scarlett, their running back in the NFL, and Ja'Kai Polite, who's been maybe their best player or one of them at the defensive end. The key's gone to the league, so the team's going to be different. Um, so it, it doesn't carry over you know, from nine months from now or whatever. However, where it does matter, I think, is recruiting. Now, I, there's not going to be a whole lot of recruits, a whole lot of prospects who are thinking, man, if Florida wins this game, that's where I'm going. It doesn't work quite like that. <laughs> but certainly kind of in perception, um, th- there's a big difference between a 9-win team and a 10-win team. And once you win a New Year's Six Bowl, that's certainly one of those things that I think is going to help. Uh, you know, It's going to help Dan Mullen. It's going to give him another argument, another um, another sa- part of his sales pitch when he's in recruits' living rooms um, next month and then you know, down the line as well to be able to say, look— we're doing things the right way. Um, we are um, we're we're winning at, at a big level, and we just showed it by uh, winning a New Year's Six Bowl. Okay, so you mentioned some of the players that won't be playing for Michigan. Uh, that aside, what what kind of matchup is this? What kind of game do you expect? What can we look for? Yeah, I'm really curious to see Michigan's defense here because all, all season long we talked about it on here. The Wolverines had one of the best statistical defenses in the country, maybe the best. And again, being out a couple guys, um, and obviously they did not look good against Ohio State at all. You know, Don Brown, that Michigan's very well-regarded defensive coordinator, was talking about that earlier today. They just did a bunch of uncharacteristic things. There were just a lot of silly breakdowns and a lot of things that are day one mistakes that they made at the absolute worst possible time against one of the better defense or one of the better teams in the country. So I'm curious to see how they rebound because. You know, Florida's defense or Florida's offense has been better this year, but they're still not all world or anything. So on paper, that favors Michigan's defense. But I don't know that that necessarily carries over. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see Shea Patterson, Michigan's quarterback play. I mean, that uh, all the story in, in uh, Friday's Tampa Bay Times about the relationship between um, Shea, Patterson, Shea Patterson, uh IMG product, Wolverine's starting quarterback and Van Jefferson, the Gators uh, receiver. They were teammates at Ole Miss. Um, you know, Shea was thrown to Van, and now they're opponents for two different teams in a bowl game, which I think is a really weird but really cool thing. Um, so I'm curious to see how, how Shea looks in, in, in this offense. Um, that's, you know, again, talk about all the guys who aren't here, but uh, Michigan's now without uh, Jim McElwain, who was the receivers coach, who's now the head coach at Central Michigan. So there's a lot of unknowns with Michigan there that I'm trying to – I don't have a, a good – read on but uh it, it's certainly regardless of what what happens it's going to be a big test for florida michigan's a very talented team and this is to me this is going to be a sign of how far the gators have come i mean you look at what's happened the last couple of years after the 15th season michigan blew out florida 41 to 7 in the citrus bowl then they opened against each other in 2017 and the gators got absolutely crushed so to me this is going to be kind of one of those measuring sticks michigan is still really good now let's see where Florida is. Are they that much better than they were under Jim McElwain? Or maybe they still have a ways to go. So that's kind of what I'm watching uh, on Saturday at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. you got two uh, obviously high-profile programs, one, like you said, coming up, one that's sort of at or near the top in the Big Ten. So, um, And then, of course, uh, you know Jim Harbaugh, you never know what to expect with him, but I think, um, <laughs> no. I think it's going to be a great matchup. <laughs> I mean – I mean, how has he been in the press conferences? Because he usually, this is about the time of year he ends up with a turkey, turkey, gobble, gobble talk or something like that. 
You know, I haven't uh, I haven't had a chance to, to talk with him yet. Today it was just uh, the assistant coaches and some players, but uh, I'm sure he gotcha. will be absolutely scintillating <laughs> on Friday morning in the always entertaining yeah. day before head coaches press <laughs> conference where all of the, you know, both head coaches really want to be there talking to you at 930 in the morning on the day before the bowl game. Yeah, I have only one question you need to ask for me, and that is, has he been contacted by the Buccaneers? If you get that answer... Be sure to file that on TampaBay.com. <laughs> they still, well, let's, they, let's, let's talk about this if we can go down this rabbit hole a, a, a sure, little bit, Rick. Sure, uh, you yep. know, Harbaugh is – I think we talked about it here before. Harbaugh has said that he doesn't – you know, he's happy at Michigan and it always comes up and he thinks it's rivals recruiting, um, a recruiting tactic. Mm-hmm. And heck, he had a guy um, – a, a top recruit uh, from mild stomping grounds in Tulsa, who was a Michigan commit, flipped to uh, Bama and then flipped back to Michigan after it became clear that Harbaugh was you know, saying he was saying. So did you is there any chance that he that you think he leaves for the NFL or that the NFL really, really wants him, particularly a team with a pirate ship in its end zone? <laughs> Well, I only, I only know of one team that has a pirate ship in its end zone, and currently, as we sit here, they have a coach. But we'll see what happens after Sunday. I would say this: that um, that that probably I'm speculating now, but probably this team and many others call Jim Harbaugh and or his representatives to kick the tires and see just what his thoughts are about plant coaching in the NFL. And I would think that's an annual occurrence. I also think that. Michigan is a special place uh, for him and especially for his family. Um, and college football is way different than pro ball. I mean, you know, in college you, you have to deal with what you just talked about, recruiting. It's not just, it's not just yep. coaching ball. I mean, I was – and I'm going to drop some names, Steve. Are you ready to pick these up? Uh, I was in Hawaii one time, uh, and it just so happened that the Harbaugh's were over there because Jim had a camp at the same time. And, you know, our wives were playing and, or, you know, playing with the kids together and all that. And Jim – overlooking the most beautiful Pacific Ocean you could ever hope to see, um, instead of joining us for the family outing, he was on the phone constantly trying to call recruits. And so that's sort of the difference between pro ball and college. And I think if you're a ball coach, you like to just coach. Uh, But, but, you know, obviously at Michigan, it's it's so much recruiting. So my long answer is I don't know. I would think at some point he'll come back to the NFL – but but Michigan is such a such a unique place to coach. He played there. It means a lot to him. And I would say this: Ohio State no longer has Urban Meyer, <laughs> so Correct. now might not be the time to get out. You know, you might want to see if you can beat the Buckeyes, that team, um, you know, down south, and and see if you can beat them without Urban. Yeah, there's, so that's my there's two definitely cents something. On no, there's definitely something to that. And and I'm just going to go out on a limb here, Rick. I think there might be some head coaching jobs in the NFL that open next year. I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a possibility Every year. that that happens. Absolutely. I know, I know there's Absolutely. only 32 of them, and if you, you, got, you get the opportunity, you got to go. I, I get all that stuff, but if he's, you know, if he continues to win at a high level, and obviously what he did with the 49ers, that, that's fact. There that's never going to change. Um, that's right. Somebody will probably give him a call. Whether it's this, you know, whether it's today, tomorrow, uh, every next, year, you know, next week, every year, and at some point, I think he will probably have an opportunity. I don't know if it's the Bucks or someone else, but uh, so I'll keep you posted on that one, Rick. Yeah, let me know what he says. I'll be interested. But you're right. Every year, in fact, I'm willing to guess that every year, Nick Saban at Alabama, even at age 67, gets a call to come back to the NFL. Which brings us 
to the national semifinal game. That's called a segue in radio. We've got, uh, though this is not radio, it's podcast. What's the closest? Close thing? enough. We've yeah. got, we've got, uh, we've got a great games, or great games this weekend, of course, uh, to de- help determine a national champion. And let's start with Alabama, Oklahoma, which to me is the most intriguing matchup of all. I mean, clearly you have a Heisman Trophy quarterback. Let me ask you first, uh, not about Oklahoma, but about Alabama. Are we fairly sure? Do we know uh, just what uh, Tua's situation is with his ankle? Who will start at quarterback for Alabama? Yeah, I, certainly. The, certainly, the expectation is that Tua is the starter. I suppose there's some sort of, you know, he said the other day, I think he was eighty to eighty-five percent. I suppose yeah. there's a scenario where he doesn't start, um, but I, I certainly expect him to, to play. And I, you know, he's played banged up uh, this year. His knee hasn't been 100%. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So I expect him to play at a high level. The, the question is going to be, is it a high enough level to beat Oklahoma? Um, you know, the Sooners' defense has not been very good. That is well documented. But their offense is historically good. Not just good, mm. but historically good. And you know, we've talked about it. That's the reason why... I just, you know, switched in my head from thinking Tua was going to win the Heisman and get my vote to giving it to Kyler Murray and not giving it a second thought, really. Um, so th- that's going to be the key is whether they're going to either the Bama defense is going to have to make enough plays and special teams. And certainly we've seen Nick Saban's teams over the years be able to do that. Or Tua is going to have to win in a shootout potentially and keep pace with with uh, with Kyler Murray and, and the Sooners offense. So, yeah, that I, I he, he's obviously going to be one of the keys to the game. No doubt about that one. You know, that you mentioned uh, in Kyler Murray, and, of course, that that was a, the Heisman uh, race came down between those two. Any chance that this, you know, one of, the, one of the many, I mean, as if they're not motivated enough to win a national title, right? But could Alabama be, tr- be trying to, uh, to pour, prove a little bit of a point that they thought their guy should have won it? And would that, would that add some motivation if, you, if they need it or – um, do you think it's it's even a thing in this game as far as Murray winning over Tua? It, no, they don't need any motivation, but yes, it will be a thing. I I, I just know from, from my from my email uh, the Sunday slash Monday after the Heisman ceremony what I was hearing from Bama fans uh, because I had the audacity to pick someone else as the top player and most outstanding player in the country. I know what they think, and I'm pretty sure I can guess what some of the people at Bama think. No, I don't think they're going to say that publicly. Certainly Nick Saban isn't. But I can definitely see the, that being a chip because, you know, they rally around Tua. Um, he's not a vocal, rah-rah guy necessarily. That's not the, the culture in Hawaii, so that's not who he is. But I know they obviously think very highly of him, and, and I'm sure they will want to stick it to uh, stick to Kyler Murray and, of course, all the – the uh, the haters and doubters like like me out there in the media world as well. You know, with Murray, I guess it was interesting uh, at the Orange Bowl media day. Um, he he made it sound like he's still weighing whether in the NFL 
sort of is is somewhere he would want to go. Now he's a first round pick of the Oakland A's. They say he's a five tool player. It, it it's going to be you know uh, his agent has said he's not playing football, but. I don't know. What do you hear? Uh, you're around the college game. We know what a great college player he is. Do you think his skills translate to the NFL? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm laughing because I, I listen to a lot of college football podcasts. This is this is my world. This is what I do, Rick. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I've heard a couple times this year is how great it is that we can just sit back and enjoy Kyler Murray as a great college player <laughs> because he's going to be – and not have to think about is he gonna is his skill set gonna translate to the NFL? Is he too short? Is he too frail? Blah blah blah. Because he's gonna be a baseball player. So I just think it's kind of funny now that here we are in December. I mean, it was a great three months where we could just enjoy him as a college player. <laughs> um, <laughs> but your you know your your question is completely valid because there are going to be NFL teams asking themselves that, and 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 Kyler's gonna ask, ask himself that. Um, I mean, he, he signed, I think it was for $5 million with the A's. I'm sure there's stuff in his contract if he wanted sure. to get out of it or if he could get out of it or if he tried to do both. What you know, the, there, There's going to be some wiggle room in there. Um, if I'm him, and again, yeah, I think his skills translate. He's really freaking good. He's really, really yeah. fast. He's got an absolute cannon. Um, he, can, he can make every throw, and you certainly you see the, the success Lamar Jackson has had. Uh, I think you you saw him in person the other day, and you saw mm-hmm. what I saw when he put up 63 on Florida State a couple of years ago. Um, so I, the NFL is changing that way, where running quarterbacks can can have success, and there's not that stigma, or not as much as there used to be. So yeah, I think it can translate. The question one of them is going to be whether he wants it, because if I'm him, again, I don't know what I can't see into his heart. I don't, I don't know what he what he thinks and what he loves, but I think in a lot of ways it's a smarter deal to do the baseball route um we don't know about the long-term effects or there's a lot we still don't know about the long-term cumulative effects of head trauma that he would get in the nfl um maybe he can have a 15-year nfl career as a quarterback maybe but he also might not um making that money in baseball going a little bit safer route there and still having a chance to make a lot of money down the line uh, I, I i that would be an intriguing thing i'll tell you this um, my, my, my son, he's almost two. We think he might be a lefty. My goal is if he stays a lefty to, is to get him to throw 90. I mean, yeah, it'd be great Absolutely. if he's like 4.0 and all that crap too. But if I can get him to throw 90, no. we've got a chance here. So there's no I, if question. Were, if I'm Kyler Murray's, if I'm Kyler Murray's agent or dad, that's the advice that I'm giving him. Yeah. He said he's always felt he could play in the NFL and he says, though, nothing has changed. I put, I haven't put any energy worrying about it or anything like that. All I can do is go out and play Saturday, let my play speak for itself. So we're a long way from finding out whether, whether Murray will be uh, in the NFL. So for Oklahoma to win, I'm guessing that uh, Nick Saban could ball control them to death. Um, And obviously the defense would be the biggest thing, but didn't we see some improvement in Oklahoma's defense at the end of the year? Yeah, they, they got better. I mean, one of the big plays in the, in the, uh, the Big 12 title game against Texas, uh, I think it was, it was a safety there late, which obviously got him a couple points and uh, got him the ball back too. So, yeah, Oklahoma's defense got better. But I think you're right. I think one of the ways Nick Saban would think about uh, winning is the ball control thing. I mean, we saw sure. Army, which is – I mean, Army had a very, very good season. I don't want to take anything away from, from them. I think they won 11 games. Uh, just fantastic yeah. job. But 
Army doesn't have the talent that Oklahoma does. So the way they were able to, you know, stick in, you know, stick in the game was to sit on the ball and, and, you know, run it all the time and limit the possessions and time Kyler Murray could have the ball. That's not the way Bama has won a lot this year. But that's not to say that they can't win that get that way because they've got really good running backs and a pretty darn good offensive line. So maybe you know, that's certainly one route that uh, you could go about doing it if you don't necessarily want to get in a shootout with a your starting quarterback at eighty to eighty five percent. Yeah, I think it's for me. It's a marquee game of the weekend, but there is another game that's pretty darn good too, and that's Clemson and Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a really good season, um, to say the least. Their record is what it is. I'm not sure they played that great of opponents. No fault of their own. Um, you know, obviously teams like Florida State weren't up to snuff. But I don't think necessarily that they were tested uh, defensively uh, throughout the year. Is Notre Dame in the same class of these other three teams, you think, in this in this championship? Well, you, you mentioned Notre Dame's schedule as not being great. And I'm not going to say that, that it was great. Um, but pst. One of the teams they beat is here in the New Year's Six Bowl too. Uh, you know, they beat <laughs> they beat Michigan in the opener, so it's not like they played a bunch of fuddy duddies. Um, no. So uh, Notre Dame to me is not on on that level. Um, they they're just not. They 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 the sum. Let me see if I can get this right. Here we are on the two hours of sleep thing or whatever. Um, they've. <laughs> They are playing above their weight. They are playing where the uh, what is it? The sum is better than the individual parts. I can't remember that. The sum is I'm bigger tired. than the parts. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've only had three cups of coffee, and it's just not enough. Um, so yeah, they're, they're playing. They have a good amount of talent, but they're not at that elite level. They have a bunch of very good players and good players, but not a lot of great ones. And you look over on the other side of the ball at Clemson. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, the Tigers' quarterback. He may win a Heisman uh, before he's done. He is—he's that good. Um, if I'm Florida State and Miami and the rest of the ACC, I—I'm I, just trying to hold on because that guy is going to dominate the next two years. And, and you know, Clemson's uh, defensive line—we talked all year about how great they are. They're—they're they're so good that Dexter Lawrence is probably going to be out um, for uh, testing positive for a performance-enhancing or banned substance, I guess I should say. And they still have like eight defensive linemen who are just ridiculous right there with them. So Clemson's recruited at such a high level. They've got more talent than Notre Dame. But obviously the Irish have, have gotten here, um, and they've been punching above their weight class. So we'll see if they can do it one or two more times, uh, this time in uh, uh, Jerry's world. You mentioned a quarterback, uh, of course, for Clemson, but they also run the ball and like to run it inside. Um, they're going to test Notre Dame on the ground, I would imagine. Yeah, I would imagine too. I mean, Travis Etienne, uh, Clemson's running back. You know, again, he's a All America talent, you know, level guy. He's he's pretty darn quick, and he's got enough pop to him too. Um, and, and really, kind of one of the, I don't, I don't want to call him an unsung hero for for Clemson, but a guy who's done really really well, and I don't know has gotten quite enough credit is their left tackle, Mitch Hyatt. I mean, he's been again an All America level guy pretty much uh, four seasons it seems like at clemson including that they're running the national title at, at, at ray j so they've got some guys who can who can block and they can pound a little bit too with uh, with travis etn who's you know like i said he, he was kind of on my heisman trophy shortlist as well 
So how do you see this game playing out? Because obviously uh, Clemson and Dabo Sweeney are no um, strangers to national championship games. They seem to know their way there. You you are correct. Um, it seemed like all year, you know, I, I don't I didn't like the BCS. The BCS was better than the old model, which was stupid and made zero sense. The the, the fourteen playoff is better than the BCS. However, this is a year where like. I think everybody kind of knows who the best teams are, and it's Clemson and Bama. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, that's I think that they've been the best two teams all year. Um, Bama, then Clemson, in that order. Mm-hmm. I think they're the best two teams in the country still. And I think those are going to be the two teams that play for it all in uh, Santa Clara here, what is it, a week from, from Monday. Um, so yeah. I, I think Clemson's just got more dudes, and typically the guys, the team with the most dudes wins. And uh, when you've got a coach who has one at such a level as Dabo and, and you know assistants that are as highly regarded as Venables and, and Scott, I think that's the way it's going to go. So Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban do this again, potentially, uh, in the national Round championship four. game. And let me ask you, uh, this is bad. I'm going to make a statement, true or false. This is bad for college football. And when I say that, I mean that the same hmm. – because there's no, only no, four I, teams, there's right. very little chance that other programs are going to make it and elbow their way in past Alabama and or Clemson. We're already seeing round four. I think it's not good for college football. I mean, there's – what is it, 130 teams in the country, and we know only 60 of them have even a remote chance of getting to the, uh, the, the playoff because we've seen what's happened with your group of five schools like UCF and Houston – and even among those 65, there's really only probably 10 to 20 that really their fan bases could really expect to compete for a, a, a spot in the playoff in a championship. So to have it be Clemson and Bama again, you know, it would be the fourth meeting in four years. Three of those were for national titles. Oh, the good thing is the first two games are really, really good. I mean, yeah, the, they the, were. The, the yeah, first they were. one in Phoenix, Sean Watson did better than Vince Young, which is, I thought going to be the best performance I'm a fan and Sean and then the second one in in Tampa you know uh Deshaun Watson to uh Hunter Renfer with one second left that's a play that's going to as long as college football will be shown on TVs or screens or whatever that is a play that will be seen so on one hand it's good but when you've got 130 teams Really, only a handful of those have a chance anyway, and here we are potentially again with the same four or same two teams meeting for a championship. It definitely has the potential to turn some. You know, Michigan fans aren't going to stop watching, but for the casual fan, if there's a definite chance of Bama fatigue and Clemson fatigue, or <laughs> Bama and Clemson fatigue, uh, kind of meeting in there, so. I don't think it's great for college football. College football is great when the brands are great. Don't get me wrong. When your Michigans and Notre Dames and Bama's and Texas's are winning, but too much of a good thing can be bad too. You need to have some other guys, some new blood in there. And when, when, when this year's new blood in the playoff is this up and coming program that hasn't reached the mountain, Notre Dame. And we're kind of like, yeah, we, we need some fresh faces in there. And do you think then expanding that will uh, will help create maybe an upset or two and and, and get a team that uh, might make it all the way to the national championship or give more teams an opportunity? Oh, yeah. I, I, again, most of the time, the team with the most dudes is going to win. 
I don't yeah. know that UCF, UCF is a very good team. I don't misunderstand me. However, they don't have the horses of Bama or Clemson or, or, or George. Sure. I'd love to see them have a chance, though, because maybe they can upset somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. It's really hard in the playoff era. You know, to, to win a national title now, you have to beat two really, really good teams. So I think it would be hard for UCF to beat three really, really good teams back to back to back. But I think they would have a chance mm-hmm. of beating one and maybe two. And certainly just uh, uh, new teams in there. I mean, in an 18 playoff, uh, maybe, uh, you know, I guess Ohio, it'd be some of the same suspects. But UCF would have a chance this year. Um, Washington would be back in. Um, which is, uh, you know, they're a team that's had some success over the years, but not a lot of super high su- sustained success. And, and it, and two, it kind of, in addition to, the, to just more brands, it'd be different schools across the country. You know, the Pac-12 would have a reason. Uh, people out west would have a reason to watch. Um, people in the Midwest would have more reasons to watch, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I certainly don't see the downside there. Heck, Don Brown, Michigan's defensive coordinator, was a, a FCS head coach. Uh, is just talking this morning about how he wants to see the, the playoff expanded to 12. Um, you know, your top four teams would have a bye, okay? and uh, you, you could figure out a way to make it work with injuries and all that stuff too, but give more teams the opportunity. And at, at 12, just about every team that would have a legitimate argument would be in the mix. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, there's no secret why it's going to expand, and that's called money television uh-huh. revenue so correct uh, that's gonna that's gonna drive it all and uh, and you will see more teams um, with a chance to get into the tournament as they say um, so it should be a fascinating uh, weekend and if I read the tea leaves right you have you have Bama and Clemson advancing uh, to the national title game correct that is correct yeah I don't think that would surprise anybody um, let's uh, before we before we let you go Matt and you can get some sleep here um, what did you make of USF? They lose again. Uh, in fact, they lost a lot after a what seven and zero start, I believe, um, and did not yeah, win another 7-0, game. Seven and zero to seven and six, which according yeah. to the AP has never been done before. Never been done before, and and you know Charlie Strong uh, comes out afterwards and says there's going to be a lot of changes, um, dismisses some players. So where is this USF program right now with Charlie Strong? I I don't know. But it's not where I thought it would be in year two. I mean, the I think mm-hmm. the expectation when they hired Charlie was that he was going to be a slam dunk, home run hire to mix sports and metaphors. Um, and I thought after two years he'd have a chance at uh, at a power five job, maybe even a very good one. And mm-hmm. now here we are, uh, you know, done with year two, and there's a lot of certainly some doubt about his future and it's not the because he's going to leave for a better job um they, they just have so many issues and again we, we talked about it on here a zillion times even when they were seven and zero, there was a lot of shakiness in there the close you know too close win over over yukon and you know the, the close win over a not good tulsa team and, and some of those so i don't know where they are. uh it's surprising to me that they're here um just because usf you know, obviously they did well with, with with Willie Taggart, and they seemed to be on the upswing and made a hire that was pretty well, you know, almost universally regarded as a good one in Charlie. And it just it worked out fine the first year and did not work well in year two. And the other thing, when you when you look at USF, you know, not on the granular level like what our, our great colleague Joey Knight does, but kind of take a step back and view it in the in the prism of college football as a whole. 
this is really bad timing for the Bulls because at some point in the next you know, five, six, seven years, the, the conference realignment wheels are going to be spinning again. And it's a lot of the perceptions that are going to affect what happens then are being shaped right now. So USF being eh, pretty good, I guess, is not going to help USF get into a bigger conference. Now there's going to be more in terms of rather, you know, more than just 10 win seasons or seven win seasons and Gasper rules that go into who gets to move up and who, who doesn't. But USF needs to be able to play every single car that they possibly can just because the, these are going to be so high for the, athletic, for, for the football program, the athletic department, and really the university as a whole. So they, they, this was not good timing. Now, the good thing is they still have time to fix it uh, going forward, but they have a lot of changes to make on the staff and the personnel and everything else. I lied before I let you go. I have one more question. Florida State, and you talked to us about this before it actually happened, so I give you credit. Yep. Uh, they did go ahead and hire Kendall Bryles from Houston as their offensive coordinator. Bryles, of course, has some history of his own at Baylor. Um, and apparently Florida State is okay with it. Uh, so is this a chips-to-the-middle-of-the-table uh, hire by Willie Taggart? Absolutely, and it's chips-to-the-middle-of-the-table on a couple levels. Um, I, I haven't seen the official buyout from uh, you know what, what Kendall slash FSU would owe um, Houston here, but I, I've seen anywhere between half a million and a million dollars, which is not a small sum of money. Um, for to buy out an assistant coach plus whatever it is they're going to pay him and i bet they're going to pay him a good chunk of change too and i haven't seen a salary figure on that so it's a big financial investment and it's just a big investment i guess period because th there are other coaches that i think they could have gone to be offensive coordinator that don't have the baggage you know the, the, big, the main one that comes to mind or the first one that comes to mind is larry fedora who is the head coach at North Carolina, has been a successful assistant coach at various stops along the way. I, I, th I thought he could have done a good job at Florida State. Now, there's no question in my mind Kendall Bryles was probably the best hire they could make on the field specifically. But you can't consider on the field specifically. You have to consider all the other stuff, too. And all the other stuff is at worst murky, or at best murky, and at worst really, really bad for a school that's had Title nine, its own Title Nine issues that have not been good. So to me, it's a matter of look. If FSU, you know, Willie thinking if FSU, if, if I don't win enough, none of the other stuff matters, and I need to win now. So I guess to some degree, you kind of accept the fact that it, it's good on Willie for understanding his shortcomings as a play caller, and that he needs to hire the best assistant he can uh, to fix it because schematically they're a good match. But on the other hand. It's it's not a good look for the university. It has potential to be really really bad on on many different levels, and it's you know for for a school that's uh, that's you know historically was a women's college to, and has had some issues with this in the past to go hire another guy who has had you know again at best murky at worst really really bad issues with this stuff. It's not a good look, and I know it's upset uh, a a chunk of the fan base. So. If it does work out, then it's really not going to work out, and I can't see Willie lasting past it. But if it works out, it's potential to work out really well. Yeah, not too far uh, from removed from Jameis Winston's situation and many people thinking that maybe Florida State um, did not handle that 
uh, properly as well. So we'll see how that and goes. Not even, with, with not the, even just not even just that, Rick. That and that is that issue is still under investigation by the federal government. Like, let's not yeah. look past that. Yeah. And the NCAA hasn't released uh, its report. They're, they're still kind of uh, finishing up loose ends on its investigation into Baylor and some of that stuff, which is also, I believe, under federal investigation by the government and how it handled stuff, in addition to all the lawsuits that were settled. So there's a lot of – there's just a lot of stuff here, Rick, that uh, FSU yeah. apparently felt yeah. comfortable going with. And I know some chunk of the fan base is, but – I also know from you know people that I've talked to and uh, readers that I've heard from and fans that I've heard from, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people too. Yeah, no, certainly, uh, certainly going to have to win to make that work and then some. So we'll see how that all turns out. He's Matt Baker. Matt, we appreciate the time. You can read him on TampaBay.com. He'll be at the Peach Bowl watching Florida and Michigan. And uh, again, thanks so much, Matt. You got it. Thanks, Rick. So it's going to be an exciting week of college football, of course, with the national semifinals. And then on Sunday, the Bucks play the Falcons in a busy, uh, busy day, of course, after that on Monday with uh, potential coaching changes throughout the NFL. Also on, on Saturday, you have the Lightning back in action against the Canadians. Labitons come to Emily Arena before they go on their West Coast uh, trip. So make sure you keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. And, hey, if you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas for your girl, go see our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. You're going to save 20% off just by listening to this podcast on all jewelry purchases. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. 